Are you ready to grow your business by building relationships online and offline? Are you looking for a system to attract new prospects and nurture your past clients? Maybe you're a business owner, a sales professional, or an entrepreneur. If you are, then great. Join me, Janice Porter, as we blast past your barriers to success and explore the power of relationships for your business. And welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. I'm your host, Janice Porter, and I have a special guest with me today, as always. Today, it is James Muir. James, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be on, Janice. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. Uh, just a little bit about James. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of Best Practices International and the best-selling author of the number one um, book on closing sales, The Perfect Close. And uh, James is a 30-year veteran of um, sales, having served in every role from individual contributor to executive VP. And his mission is to make the complex simple. And I'd like to start there and say, what do you mean by that? Uh, I think that we spend a lot of energy making things a lot more complicated than they are. And so if you just stand back, maybe look at it at 60,000 feet, you realize it's not nearly as complicated as you think it is. And so I, I try to apply that to almost everything, especially sales. Of course, that's what the book on the closing is all about, is just simplifying it down to just two questions. Um, but I think that in life, we, we tend to overthink things quite a bit. So that's so true, totally. Um, so I was thinking this morning before our conversation of, you know, a couple of things that I might want to ask you. And the first thing that I, that I think about is, you know, when you're in it, when you're doing the, the selling, when you are the salesperson, um, that's not when this came to you, I'm sure. I'm sure it was when you were um, now overseeing teams or learning to, or, or starting to train other teams or whatever. Tell me about how the perfect close, the book, the, the process, the simplification, how did that come to be? Well, it's kind of a big story, but I'll try to simplify it a little bit. I am an, <laughs> I am an, that well. <laughs> I am an accidental salesperson. So I was a, a technical person. Uh, our company had opened up a, um, an office in a new location. And I used to go out with the salespeople, believe it or not. And I used to say to myself, oh man, I hope I never have to do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, right? and then we got into this situation where our number one sales guy left and took a bunch of clients with him. And so uh, the executive that was I reported to say, hey, we really need you to be in sales. We need to, get, or, or, this, or we're not going to make it, right? And so I where I hear I had all this visions of running this place and all this stuff, I ended up in this other position. And I really didn't know what to do or how to close actually at all. And I didn't have any mentors to follow at that point. I started reading furiously and I read a ton of these books on closing. And I got to tell you, now I have almost every book on closing you can think of. And 95% of them all are manipulative tactics that damaged trust and so but i didn't know that right and so um i was trying this stuff on the fly in a mission critical situation and the one that i can remember the most is i remember learning the alternate choice close right where hey do you want it in you know red or blue or do you want 300 or do you want 400 either way the answer is they're buying you right, right. and um and it's obviously manipulative and so we had this client that was already using some of our stuff and uh, they were evaluating a whole different set of uh, services that we wanted them. And it was a very uh, high-end deal. It was worth a lot of money to the company. And so I was having dinner with this guy and one of his teammates. 
And, um, and so at the right time, I thought, all right, well, so, and I used this alternate choice clothes on him. And the guy pushed back from the table as though I had poisoned his food or something like that. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, if you think that because you have this, uh, some of this other business that we're doing with you, that you're going to get this business too. You are dead wrong. He said, um, I am going to evaluate three different vendors and we're going to look ask all these questions, do all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, that is not the response that he totally knew that I was using a technique on the guy. And he actually ended up not going with us, even though we were obviously the best choice from him uh, for the guy. Just to just just to prove a point yeah. to me that yeah. not not to take him for granted and not to try to use tactics. So that's when I learned that there there is some data that shows some of these manipulative tactics work when the value of the item is super low, if it's like fifty bucks or less, right? But um, when you're dealing with things that may be hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars, you cannot use those tactics. They will absolutely backfire on you. So uh, that is, um, so that's my own personal, I had to come up with a new way of, of doing that. And I had a bloated pipeline with all these deals in it. I couldn't quite get any of them over the finish line. And I'm getting pressure because they're like, hey, you know, we're gonna die here if you don't bring in some business. And it was really kind of a high stakes situation. And I remember going to a client and this is in the revenue cycle management industry and um and the client had already been burned by another vendor and uh and so i'm just trying to figure out you know i got to do something here so um i said well look does it make sense for me to just do a complete assessment for you guys so that we can figure out what the problem is so that it doesn't happen again right with us or with anybody else right and they said yes and i'm like okay and then of course i did the assessment and then they ended up buying it and later I thought, well, what, was, what would be that diff deal different than all these other ones that I had done? And all it was, was that, does it make sense for me to, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and so that's my own epiphany. And then later when I started working with other people, um, especially domain experts that are sort of forced to be in sales, but they don't want to be in sales. They just have to answer hard questions. And sometimes they get put in situations where they're going solo and all that. And, and they would confess to me that they hated the closing part. It's like, it's the worst part of the whole mm -hmm, thing. Mm -hmm. And so when I started seeing that in my own teams, that's when I, I sort of draw, drew back on my own experience and thought, oh, all right, well, actually it's not as hard as you think it is, right? <laughs> but it was, it was at first for me until, <laughs> until someone tells you the secret, it, yeah. you know, it does, it does seem complicated because what's happening really is you're leaning into it too hard. You're trying to push them to do something that you want. And what you really need to do is you need to back off and let them just facilitate. That's all you're really doing. You can't control another person anyway. That control is illusion. So um, what you're just trying to do is help them think through what do they need. And when we ask, does it make sense? They're gonna, they're gonna, and maybe they'll say yes, great. If they say no, then what they're telling you is they're just giving you valuable feedback for where they're at in their buying process. And, um, and if they say no to that, then you, you can, the, the kindergarten version of the second question is, well, all right, well, what do you think is a good next step? then and mm -hmm. the and the uh, uh, what will happen is in 90 percent of cases i've been on hundreds of ride-alongs i can tell you in 90 percent of cases the, the customer will just tell you a very logical next step for where they're at in their process so you don't have to overthink it you can just say hey does it make sense for us to do this thing and mm -hmm. if it is they say yes if they say no then you can just throw them the ball back say well what do you think is a good next step and then they'll tell you and so it's not much more complicated than that i mean there are some different variations of, of the course. perfect close but but that is how it came about and that is unfortunately uh, i hope i didn't steal your thunder there but no. that is essentially the two basic questions too no and we'll come back 
back to those again because uh, of course not. Um, it's didn't steal my thunder. I just um, a couple of things came to mind though when you were telling the story, and one is um, back in the day when you started and when I started and. I mean, selling was never my thing. I'm a trainer. That's what I know how to do. But when you're in business for yourself, you have to learn to sell as well, even though you don't realize that, you know, that you got to do everything. You got to yeah. do everything. That's right. But um, before I get to that, I, I, what I was thinking is, so it used to be, and our, our friend Larry Levine will talk about, talks about this too, you know, it used to be transactional selling and and so it was more cut and dried, but now it's more about relationships and, and trust and all of that. So did that come in, did that factor come in or, or when you had that, that dinner conversation many years ago that sort of jolted you to a new reality, did that come to mind back then, you know, or was it? Yeah, no, no. Yes, absolutely. It's just the whole thing is, is when you're pushing into it and you're thinking about your own selfish needs, what's happening is you're actually sending a whole ton of nonverbal signals that you don't want to be sending. And people don't realize that. And, um, and just to get a little specific, you've got something called mirror neurons that we all have with each other. It's why when you go to see a movie and you can relate to the person that's in the movie, you're feeling what they're feeling in the movie, right? These mirror neurons is what triggers that. There's also something called micro expressions. These are, are literally they're um, fractions of a second of facial expressions that we do pick up on each other, but we can't articulate. Mostly people say they, they're like a feeling or something. Mm -hmm. And then there's something called paralanguage, which is, you know what it is, right? It's when you ask your, your significant other, hey, how are you? And they say, fine. <laughs> but you can tell by the way they said fine, they're absolutely not fine, right? And so um, that paralanguage also communicates a ton of nonverbal communication. Here's the thing. And so when you tell people about this and you're teaching them in a workshop, what happens is they say, well, how do I make sure, you know, how do I control all those to make sure that I, and if the answer is you can't. You can't. And so the, the only thing that you can do is you need to have your intention needs to be in the right place where you're trying to serve from an authentic place. Right. And I saw so the way I say it is intent matters more than technique does. Okay. And so the only way to really send all the right signals is to actually care guys. There's no way to fake yeah. it. Right. And so that is the, um, I mean, for me, I learned all of this stuff. And then later uh, in, when I wrote the book, I tried to um, document all the science behind why this is so that people don't have to take my word for it. It's all been studied. There's a couple of things, just kind of back to your Larry Levine uh, comment. And uh, Larry is amazing. My, he's one of my best friends. Um, in the heart. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, is when, when we get into a new situation with a person, in just the very first couple of seconds, we immediately evaluate two things. One of those is warmth. And, uh, and that's, at least that's what the social scientists call it. And that is, um, we try to de detect their intent. What's this person trying to do? Are they trying to help me or are they trying mm -hmm. to hurt me, right? Mm -hmm. Are they friendly or are they, you know, an, an enemy of mine? And then once we've decided which one of those things we think it is, the next thing we do, and again, all this happens in just a split second, is we determine their competence. That is, is this person, how capable are they of enacting their intention that I've just de determined, right? And so those two things, warmth and competence are what drive um, everything. And here's the, the news flash for salespeople out there is that what the data shows is that warmth pre uh, precedes competence and is a bigger factor. And in selling, that's even more true. And the reason for that, especially in complex sales, is that the customer knows that they're at a disadvantage because they don't have all of the information 
and the salesperson does have that information. So they could potentially, you know, if you got an unscrupulous sales guy, um, they could take advantage of them, right? And so what that means is they weigh the warmth part of the formula far, far higher. And, and that's a, a, an interesting and an important dynamic to be aware of because most salespeople, most you know, entrepreneurs, they're really overselling the competence part, okay? They, I, I'm not saying it's not important. Competence is absolutely, that you can actually deliver what you say you can is super important. Mm -hmm. But they're, that what a lot of people think is, oh, if I just prove that I'm the best at this thing, then I win. And that is absolutely not the case. That is absolutely not the case. It is uh, first they're going to judge whether or not they think your intention are, is correct. And then they're going to judge your competence. And here's the funny thing. You can take a technique and butcher it all over the place. And if the customer detects that your intentions are good, they will let you come back again and again and again, even if you're, you're doing it wrong. Because they can tell you're authentically and genuinely trying to help. Oh, that you know, I think about... Um when somebody calls, even like, even the cold calls, even the, um, uh, the telemarketers that call and they've got scripts and they, and sometimes I don't answer. Sometimes I answer and I say, I'm not home, goodbye. And sometimes I'm curious enough. I want to hear what they have to say. Right. And so, and sometimes I even, um, cross, you know, sell them, you know, just for fun. And, uh, <clears throat> and so I, I, what I was going to say is, is, that's, you can sense if they're hungry, you can sense if they talk too much and they're not listening. And so those kinds of things come into play in all sales situations, right? Um, yeah. The thing that comes to my mind is, is a big aha moment that I had a few years ago. And I'm in the um, network marketing industry as with send out cards, you're familiar with send out cards. And I'm also um, a, a LinkedIn trainer. And whichever I'm involved in talking to somebody about what I learned a long, well, it wasn't that long ago because I remember it so clearly is that I have to not be attached to the outcome mm -hmm. because that's what changes the whole, you know, being too intense and, and not, wor not, I'm worrying about the wrong things. And um, there were two things. What was it? Um, not being, uh, um, not taking it personally and not being attached to the outcome. But being authentic is so, so the part, like I couldn't do it if I wasn't authentic. So yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead. Let me throw some fuel on both of those. So um, this same executive that forced me into sales when I didn't want to be, okay, uh, the, I, I, there, a guy to the, I got to this point where I, I, nothing was coming in. And I, I thought I was going to, my inability to sell was going to actually kill the company. And I've, I finally, and I'd been rejected several times that day. And one of these people on that day, I remember were very, vividly was super rude to me right and here I was just trying to help right and so I told him I said hey I just don't think I'm cut out for this I don't think I can do this right and he said an interesting thing that kind of plays into what you did one of the two things that you just said he said James don't try to get your emotional needs met in sales you can get your financial needs met, right? You can get other needs met, but don't try to get your emotional needs met because if you do, you're going to be on this endless roller coaster of up and down and up and down and up and down, right? And so that was an important, it's kind of what you're saying. You need to stand back, but being able to stand back doesn't mean um, that you don't care. You do want that. You, you do want to help the person, but um, that takes you into the second thing, which is you need to get off of the product, get off of the solution for a minute and just think about this, this person that we're with or the people that we're with and what is the outcome that they're going for. And, and you should, well, I call it tabula rasa, 
going blank slate. Walk into the situation with a blank slate. Maybe you can help these guys, maybe you can't. Okay, just and think what's the best way I can help these guys? And maybe um, this is gonna involve you and maybe it's not gonna involve you, okay? Mm -hmm. But if you walk in with that sort of an attitude, they, first of all, they will detect that. And when they detect that you're, you're actually trying to help, they will share all kinds of information with you. When they detect that you're being self-serving, they withhold information. And then the whole process becomes very dysfunctional because how are you supposed to give them a correct diagnosis if they're only giving you half the symptoms, right? And, and that's an issue. And I actually managed a guy one time and a, a customer called me on the phone after my guy visited him. He said, don't ever let that guy come back here again. And I'm like, wow, why not? And he goes, he says this, he goes, that guy has commission breath. Okay. <laughs> and that just, that word commission breath just captures exactly the thing we're talking about here, which is you do not want to be sending the signal that it's in it, that you're in it for you. Yeah. Right. And that's all you're trying to do is get into their wallet or trying to get their money or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's, in fact, it's exactly the opposite. And I'll tell you, um, this will blow your mind, Janice. Um, so uh, this is a lot of years ago, but I was working in Phoenix, Arizona, and we, I was working for an IT company and we did you know, medical records and accounts receivable systems for hospitals and clinics and stuff. And so we went and visited this clinic and it wasn't a very big clinic. And this lady in the clinics, you know, we're showing her all of the stuff, but honestly, our solution was total overkill for what this lady needed. And so I actually just recommended a couple of other competitors that I thought were going to be a better match for her. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I thought nothing of it. We moved on, you know, call it a loss on that day. Well, a couple of years later, I, we get up engaged with uh, Banner Health Systems, which is the largest health system in Arizona. And actually they expand beyond Arizona. And we ultimately, um, I ended up selling them initially about $5 million worth of stuff. And then we ended up selling them another $5 million worth of stuff over the next eight years. So this was one of the largest accounts we ever had in the company ever. Uh, so it was worth about 10 million over the course of the time. And I find one of these days I asked Glenn Edwards, who's who I engaged with there, who's their CIO. I said, Hey, how did you guys find out about us? And it turns out that this lady yeah. that I had recommended these two other systems to knew him and recommended him to us. Love it. Okay? So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I mean, and so you call it karma, call it whatever you want to call it. Okay. But there are no accidents. I don't, I, I agree. I agree. Right. So, but here's the thing that I, the point I want to make that people get wrong about, um, about send out cards and about helping and serving other people is they understand there's this principle out there called reciprocity. And it, absolutely there is a principle, right? That if we, we are given to, we feel like we want to give back. Okay. But let, here's the, here's the mis disconnect that a lot of people get on that. You give because it's the right thing to do, not because you're expecting to get back, okay? When I went to this lady and originally, I was not thinking, hey, I hope two years from now, Glenn Edwards from Banner Health oh. Systems calls me up. And I was just doing the right thing because it's the right thing, knowing that it will come back to me at some future point. Uh, and, um, and, and you don't know how that's gonna come back to you, right? And so there's this law of gestation for karma, which, you know, it's gonna take as long as it's gonna take. It might take two years. You might, you might get something sooner than that, but you do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, not because you're trying to get some reciprocity out of it. It's so true. And, and you know, um, uh, our, our mutual friend, uh, Cody Bateman, um, talks about the 80, uh, 20 rule as, as it applies to relationship marketing. It's 80% about the relationship and 20% about the marketing. marketing it's the same principle kind of thing that we're talking about that you give for the sake of giving and because it's coming from your heart um i wrote something down 
that I saw somewhere on your website, maybe um, the key to success is, is in one word, generosity. And I think you just talked about that, you know, in so many ways, you have to do what's right, what feels right, what is in your heart. So let's come back to um, uh, your perfect close, because I think it's important that my audience hear the basis of it again, because it is so good. And so as I've started to implement it, I realized that I was actually doing it in my own way uh, because I, I made a point all the time of being clear in, in my heart that, um, that I'm not being attached to the outcome, that I have to do what's best for you and you have to do what's best for you and I, I will honor whatever. But, but your, and your system is, is great. So um, I'm gonna just read, it, read something I wrote down here and, and probably lead right into it. Nine out of 10 sales interactions don't end with a close or a no sale, rather one of the above, advance, or continuation, then the best close is the one the other person is ready for. Okay, so I don't know if that can lead into just telling me, because I know that there are different variations and there are little flow charts that take you from yes to no to whatever, <laughs> but let's just keep it simple because it's, um, it's audio, okay? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, it's really and they very- have to buy your book, you see. Oh, no, that's okay. Actually, <laughs> you know what, uh, Janice, they can get all of the models for free by just going to my website and downloading right. it. Right. Awesome. So they don't Perfect. have to, yeah, they don't okay. even have to pay to get that. So the truth is all the secrets sitting there. Um, well, so uh, maybe I should, uh, let's amplify what you said, nine out of 10. So the Neil Rackham discovered that in a uh, research that he did back in the eighties that it, it, in, in most situations, you're not going to either win or lose. That doesn't happen. Nine out of 10 times, what actually happens is the sale either moves forward in a little way or it kind of doesn't do anything. And he called that a continuation, but when it moves forward in a little way, he called that an advance. Okay. okay. And so using that vernacular you should before you go into any situation kind of have an idea of what you're hoping is going to happen okay and we would say the best thing that can happen is called your ideal advance okay and then what you want to have is a couple of backup advances okay you, uh, and and these are just in case your ideal advance proves unrealistic for some reason you've got one of these other options that you can still keep the ball rolling with right mm -hmm. and once you've got that then you're ready to use the perfect close okay and we already mentioned this the the questions earlier so if you get your pen out i'm going to be more clear about it this time okay so um what the first question is basically does it make sense for us to x okay mm -hmm. and where what you're going to put in x is your ideal advance that you planned out before you walked into your meeting okay now so there's only can i just go stop ahead. for one second sure. so that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to close the deal that day. It's whatever, it's like moving it forward to the next step, possibly that's, whatever that is. Okay. That's right. And that is something that's in the book is there's a little workshop that helps you figure out what are all the little steps in my deal for my kind of sale that lead to the big sale. Okay. okay? And so that, that's an important part. And so as we go into this particular meeting, the next biggest, most ideal step, maybe not, hey, can I get a contract today? It really might be, does it make sense for us to schedule an assessment? right? Mm -hmm. So that we can figure out what's best for you, mm -hmm. right? If that's the biggest step you think, then that's going to be my ideal advance. But you might have a couple of backups too, right? Like, hey, does it make sense for our, our technical people to talk? Or does it make sense for, you know, th I mean, there's, there's an infinite number. Every sale has their own set of little steps. And right. so you need to figure out what they are for your sale. And then before you go into your meeting, you just plan, okay, my best, uh, my ideal advance is this one. And here's my backups, 
Okay. And with that said, you're going to say, hey, does it make, let's just keep using this uh, assessment example. We say, hey, does it make sense for us to schedule an assessment to see what our best options are? Well, so the X in that case uh, is your ideal events is going to be the assessment, right? Mm -hmm. Now, they're either going to say yes, they're going to say no. If they say yes, awesome, right? We didn't even have to use the second question. We just got our advance, okay? If they say no, then I'm, the, the, the simplest version that you can get just by listening to this audio, right, is you're just going to throw the ball back to them. And you're going to say, hey, well, what do you think is a good next step then? Okay. And well, like I said before, I've been on hundreds of ride-alongs. And I can tell you that in 90% of cases, the client will just tell you a very logical next step that they're ready for right now. Okay. And so using just that simple model, you won't even need your backups. But you can, if you want to, on the backup, use something called the suggestion. And that would be, if they say no to your ideal advance, you could say, oh, okay. Well, you know, sometimes clients at this stage will, will want us to schedule a presentation for the rest of your team so they can see it. Does it make sense for us to do that? And, and do you, the, the point I'm trying to make here is, do you see how facilitative this is? We're not controlling it. We're actually just asking them if the timing is right to do a thing, which by the way, is a big deal. <laughs> We're not asking them to take the action. I'm not saying, will you take an assessment? Will you let us do that is different. That is making the question about the action and not about the timing. Okay. And that's a subtle, but super important nuance because when we ask them about the timing, we're leaving them in control. They're still feeling comfortable. It's zero pressure. And they're just saying, no, I don't think the time's right for that. And then you're like, oh, well, all right, that's curious. Well, why don't you tell me what, what is appropriate right now? That's, that's the attitude you should have using this particular, you know, approach. And, um, and if you do that, you're going to end up with an advance or close 90% of the time. And the other variations that are, uh, that are in the book or, and if we have time we can talk or we can do another session someday um, they just help you get to 95 percent but essentially i just gave you the kindergarten version which is does it make sense for us to x and then if they say no you say well what do you think is a good next step that that will carry you a long way and if you want to go like what i did learn uh long before i even did that i i just said what do you think is a good next step you, you can do the op you can do the reverse where you mm -hmm. just start with that second question. The only time that doesn't is not as ideal is if the customer it like um, I listened to one of your shows and you had a, a realtor on. Okay. And so some people they, they're buying stuff from us that they don't buy very often in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so they're really not sure what a good next step is a lot of the time, if it's that kind of a product that you sell. And so when we suggest an ideal step, you're, you're facilitating it. You're helping them think a little bit about it because if you just say, what do you think is the right step? And they've never bought a nuclear power plant before you know, they won't know. Right. Right. And so we're, because we sell a lot of that, we're in a better position to suggest logical next steps than they are. So on those umpteen uh, ride-alongs that you did. And so all your experience listening to salespeople do their thing correctly or not correctly, or, uh, you know, um, in a um, successful way or a non-successful way. How many times do people not do anything? Do they get frozen and they, they don't carry on? It's kind of like, you know, the, um, the other thing that sticks in my mind is that I learned somewhere is never leave a meeting without booking the next meeting. Right. Right? right. That so, is excellent wisdom. <laughs> so that's kind of though a lot of people don't do that. Let, let me give you, let me give you all of that is hundred percent true. Let me just give you one disqualification for that whole thing. Okay? okay. And that is sometimes we're not in front of the right person that can mm -hmm. actually even get our stuff. Okay. <laughs> and so when I say I can get you to 95%, if we're in front of a person who's completely unqualified and really shouldn't be buying our stuff, 
right and shouldn't be talking to us there is no magic thing that you can say that will cause that person to buy okay mm -hmm. and so the key there is to shift your focus if you it, like let's just say it's happening a lot to you well then the problem is not with your clothes your problem is with, at the top of the funnel where you're targeting mm -hmm. okay and so the most important if you ask me hey what's the single biggest thing you can do to improve your sales james what do you think it is most people think because i wrote a book on closing that it's closing but it isn't the single biggest thing you can do to improve your sales is to target only ideal customers it's that's the single biggest thing you could do because that means 100% of your time is spent with qualified people that could actually say yes. If on the other hand, I gave you the phone book from, um, you know, some city in Brazil, right? There, there's no, there's no chance that anything that they, I mean, I mean, the, the qualifications are going to be so bad, right? The opportunities with all those people are going to be so bad that everything else, even if you are have using the awesome, perfect clothes, you have the mm -hmm. awesome presentation, you're the perfect negotiator, all of that stuff will fall on deaf ears if you're talking to the wrong kind of person. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now back to your original question. Have I ever, have I seen it where it didn't work? Yes, I have seen it where it doesn't work. Right. And what that does is it literally, if we give them a, a good logical primary, you know, ideal advance. And then the truth is you can, you can suggest a secondary. If they say, Hey, does it make sense for us to do this? And they say, no. We say, well, you know, other clients at this stage sometimes do this other thing. Does it make sense to do that? And they say no to that too. And then we throw the ball back to them. We say, Hey, well, what do you think is a good next step? If after we've done all of that and they still just can't come up with anything, then odds are pretty good. This is not a person that we should be talking to right now. Right. And so that 5% is kind of important because it tells us, who we should be spending our time with, okay? Mm -hmm. It helps us prioritize our time. Now, what I would say is not, uh, if, if, I'm, if some of your listeners have had this challenge where they've got lots of customers, but no one's ever getting over the finish line or they're prospecting and no one's responding to their prospecting, what I will tell you is when you actually research that out and find out why people don't, did you know that 90% of the time, the issue is actually a timing issue, it's not a lack of interest. And so that's an important and encouraging thought, that is. the issue, and, and so this ties into send out cards. Yeah. The, thing, the thing is, is if we are consistently reminding them that we're here when they're ready for it, that with a, with a card or whatever, or some kind of a touch, then um, when what we call is a trigger event, happens right that's it oh suddenly you know i called you yesterday you weren't ready for it but today because my house is on fire i'm ready right mm -hmm. um that's what we call a trigger event well if we have been, always been keeping in touch with them and keeping the relationship strong then we're the ones that they call when the trigger event